Good morning, everyone. It's so nice to take the mask off. It's me. <laughs> I thought what Andy shared a little while ago was so good. The thing that really stood out to me was, oh, yeah, we, we've heard this before, or we've done this before. And that is something that we can be so guilty of. You know, we can, we can assume that we've got it. And in that time that we're assuming we've got it all together and we've sorted it all out, before long, my heart can be really hard and I can lose the sensitivity to what God's doing. And I think it's so commonplace where we, we're, we're in a mixed world and we go out and we get, we get all sorts of pressure on us. And before we know it, yeah, everything has changed in my viewpoint. So I think it was so good. So reflect on that a little bit. If you've heard, we've, hopefully all of us have read through, or the majority of us have read through passages of Scripture. And we can easily think, yeah, I've ticked that box a long time ago. But it's what God is doing today. It's what he's doing now that really makes the difference. So... What we're going to do is we haven't had a, a session from the Falls on the Hill for a little while now. Uh, in fact, the last time we heard the, the last session was back at the end of November when Simon took us through the last two Beatitudes. So the whole of this sermon is really well pieced together and it's pieced together so that one thing follows the next and it has reference to the thing that will follow. So before we go any further, do you remember the Beatitudes? Now, bearing in mind what I've just said about, yeah, we've heard it before, we've seen it before. But this is very personal. This is incredibly personal. Because Jesus is looking for people to respond to what he's saying. And he wants them to understand how you enter into the kingdom of God. So... We're going to quickly just go through some of the um, Beatitudes before we move into today's passage. So the poor in spirit, they're blessed, you know, they're blessed. The word poor in that means a beggar, somebody that begs, somebody that is so bankrupt they are completely dependent on somebody else. And it's most extreme. It would be, you know, when you see people begging on streets and they don't even look up because they are so trodden down and they just hand out a hand or they leave a note beside them asking for help. That's the kind of um, poor of spirit that Christ is talking about. People that have no righteousness of their own. Okay, the second one, the, those that mourn. Now that is really a reference to those that mourn over their sin. What are you going to do with your sin? And it clings to you and it holds you. And you have nothing that you can do about it. And, it, and in fact, we just continue to add to it. So these people are mourning over their condition and the condition of their society. Blessed are the meek. The meek 
are gentle. They are unassuming. These people have a sober opinion of themselves. They're not lofty in their thinking. They're not self-seeking. It's, the word meek is referring to being broken, but not broken like you would break a glass or shatter a glass. But it's talking about being broken as you would break a wild horse and tame it. it the idea is that you have strength, but it's controlled. So, blessed are those that thirst and hunger after righteousness. There are so many things in this world that we thirst and hunger after. So many things that we chase that we think will make so much difference to us. And most of them, if not all of them, leave us empty. Leave us still hungry. Those that thirst and hunger after righteousness, Christ says, will be filled. Blessed are the merciful. C.S. Lewis says something about this, and he says, to be a Christian means you have to forgive the inexcusable. To be a Christian means you've got to forgive the unexcusable, because Christ has forgiven the unexcusable in you. You have, to, you have to show mercy to others because we've had mercy shown to us. Blessed are the pure in heart. The pure in heart have things in order within. Pure in heart is not just an exterior thing that I can show you. The pure in heart have that going on inside. There's integrity with the pure in heart. And blessed are the peacemakers. They bring peace into their relationships and try to maintain that. Now, do these sound like blessings to you? Do these things sound like they're easy? Because they're not. I've, had it, I've heard it recently described as driving. See, because the last beatitude is those that uh, are persecuted for righteousness' sake will be blessed. Now, this person that I heard describe this, he said, you know what this is like? This is like when we drive our cars, we drive on the left side of the road. The reason we do that, I have no idea. But we do it on the left. And the important thing is, everybody who drives drives on the left, unless you go to a country where they drive on the right. Now, they've got it wrong, obviously. <laughs> but there are many countries that drive on the right. Now, if you've ever visited one of those and you've hired a car, what's that like? That is the most peculiar feeling. You get in the wrong side of the car to begin with and the steering wheel was on the wrong side. So you sort yourself out and then you've got to drive on a road where everything is back to front. Now here, all our signage works to the left. That's great, it works. Over there, it's the opposite. 
Now, when you drive on the wrong side of the road, you concentrate incredibly hard because it doesn't feel comfortable at all. Now, what Christ is saying is, do you know what? These Beatitudes are the citizens of the kingdom. They display these things. And there's going to be conflict because we live in a world that doesn't live this way. There's going to be a clash. If we, all of us who are drivers and have vehicles over here or up the hill, decide today, 12 o'clock when we're leaving, today, the right side of the road. Yeah? Who's, who's with me on this? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yes, I'm sure that would be like, be like going home, wouldn't it? <laughs> there would be chaos. There would be conflict. And this is, this is what Christ is saying. We live like this in God's kingdom, there will be conflict because the world doesn't recognise it. The world says, we do it our way, you've got it wrong. Right, we're going to get to the um, passage <clears throat> for today. Sorry, I'm going to have a drink. So, that's in place. We now move into today's reading. And it's from 13, Matthew 5, 13. In fact, I should... Oh, go back. That's it. Okay. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And we're going to pause there. So these people that live to the Beatitudes, that display the Beatitudes, you are salt and light in this world. In fact, it's, what it's really saying is you are the only salt in this world. You are the only light in this world. Now salt is used to flavour and season. Without it, food can sometimes be very bland. Salt is also used to preserve. So it seems as if this is what Christ is saying. So you go out and you bring flavour to the world. You bring the difference and you bring, um, you preserve things in the world. But what he goes on to say is he spends a lot more time talking about you can't lose your saltiness. Most of the salt that Christ would have had or that his disciples would have had would have come from the Dead Sea area. And there would have been a lot of impurities in the salt. And so that would affect its flavour. And he says if salt loses its flavour, if you lose your flavour, it's only good to be trampled on underfoot. Have you ever noticed, you know when we have, um, we have uh, elections 
and people, uh, party leaders that want your vote stand up at the beginning of the election campaign and they say, this is our manifesto. This is what we're going for. We want your vote so that we can now fulfill these things. And they make a long list of all their promises. And then you find out when they get the job and they're in for the next four or five years, then you find out some of these promises that were really important, some of them are only aspirations. Yeah? Some of them are not quite going to happen in the next four to five years. And then with other time goes on, you realise that it's a wish list, really, and we were, we were aiming high, but we're not going to achieve the things that we said. And slowly but surely, this thing becomes devalued to the point it means nothing. Now, what Christ is saying is don't be contaminated by either your old life or by the life around you. To be salt, you've got to keep your saltiness. You have to keep that. Otherwise, what you say and what you do, people are going to say, doesn't measure up. It doesn't mean anything. He also says, you are the light of the world. Light is good. Light attracts. Light is used for planes to land on runways. Light is used for signals, for warnings. And light illuminates so that we can see where we are and where we're going. You have light because of Christ in you. Don't hide it. Allow it to shine. Okay, now we're going to move on to the next part of the, the passage from 17 onwards. Do not think <clears throat> that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them but to fulfill them. For I tell you, you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. There are three things there that really stand out. And one is he's not going to abolish the law. So it's, he's not going to abolish. And the other thing that stands out is he's going to fulfill it. He's going to fulfill the law and the prophets. And the third thing that really stands out is entry into the kingdom of God. So we are going to look at the first one, that the abolish. Now, Christ says, now the funny thing is, sorry, I'm going to stop there a second. The funny thing is, why would anybody think, because he's talking to a crowd of people and they think that he's going to abolish the law. Now, why on earth would he be looking to do that? And it comes down to the fact that before we start reading the Sermon on the Mount, Christ is ministering in the areas around and people are following him. He ministers to the sick. He ministers to the people that are in need. He preaches the kingdom of God. 
And people are seeing that he's doing things that he's not according with the teachers of the law. So some people are thinking he's going to abolish the law, which would be a good thing, because then everybody would be free of that. But he says, no, he's not going to do that. What he says is, it's here and it's going to remain here. It's going to remain for this age. And he says, not even the slightest um, stroke of a pen not even the smallest letter would be removed. Now, I was trying to find some Hebrew, and we found lots of Hebrew, but you couldn't copy it and put it on a slide. But what I'm going to say, tell you is this. This jot, yod. Now, I'm thinking it's yod. Would you say it was yod? Somebody help me here. Yeah, we're going with yod then. This is a Y. Now, this is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. Now, unfortunately, you can't see it in real context. But that is the smallest letter. So that's the smallest letter. The other thing is the least stroke of a pen. Now, over here, the least stroke of a pen is called a tittle. Tittle, yeah? <laughs> okay. So here's two letters in the, in the Hebrew alphabet. That's a B and a K. And the difference between them is that little bit there. It's hardly anything at all. But that's the least stroke of a pen. Now, what he's saying is the finite detail, nothing's changing. Nothing will change. It remains. The law has a purpose. And it's going to achieve its purpose. So this is staying. So people may have been disappointed to hear that, but he, he actually holds it up and says, nothing's to change. All remains the same. Now, the second thing he says is he's going to fulfill it. I'm sorry, is it me? Or am I a bit dull? Or is it me? Because I feel really dull. Okay, yes, I'm sorry, everybody. <laughs> right. <clears throat> he says he's going to fulfill the law. What a... What an incredible thing to say. He's going to fulfill the law. The majority of people know that the law cannot be fulfilled or hasn't been fulfilled by anybody. They know how hard the law is. And this is quite an incredible statement to make. This is like the beginning of a Christmas carol. See, I'm going to take you to John. If you've got, um, if you've got a Bible, if you can go to John 1. Because John, at the beginning of John, he does something really incredible. He does something that is so helpful. And it's very much like the beginning of a Christmas carol. In the beginning of a Christmas carol, if any of you have read it, you know that it opens with Charles Dickens talking about a character in the book and he says the character's dead. He says Marley is dead. And he goes on, he talks about being dead and da-da-da-da-da. And a couple of paragraphs down, he comes back to the beginning of the story and he says, anyway, as I was saying, Marley is dead. And he says, the reason you've got to understand this is because if you don't get this, nothing wonderful can happen in the story that he's going to relate. Now, this is what John does at the beginning of his gospel. And he, he says this, <clears throat> in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. 
Through him all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. A bit further down at verse 10 he says, He was in the world, uh, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, and his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace." What he says is, before I tell you what I'm going to tell you, before I share this good news with you, you've got to understand something. You've got to know something about who I'm going to tell you about. And that is this. He was before everything. And he goes back right to the very beginning of Genesis, the first, the first verse, the first chapter in the Bible. And he says, in the beginning, Christ was there. He was there. He says, everything that has been made, everything that we experience here in the physical world has been made by him. He says, life is in this man. He says, life is in him. And that life is the light of mankind. He says that he's not recognised by anybody. Even though he goes to his own, he's not recognised. He's trying to tell you there's something exceptional about this person. And if you don't have that in your thinking, you'll miss the point. You'll miss everything else that he's going to unpack. You see, it's so easy for me to say, oh, I've heard this. Yeah, I've got this. I've got it in my pocket. It's there. Yeah, you can tell me that. Yeah, I know it. But no, do you know this? Have you got this? He is not like anybody else. So when he says... I've come to fulfill the law, he's going to do it. And that's his purpose for being here. That's why he's come. He's going to fulfill it. And he better do so because otherwise you and I, we're lost. So that's, that's what he says. That's what he wants to get to. He wants us to understand that he is going to fulfill this. Not just the law by keeping it. He's going to unpack the law. He's going to show you the full impact of it. He says it's not going anywhere until everything is achieved and and finished. And that won't be until the end of the age. So he wants you to understand that this is what he's come for. So the final bit, entry into the kingdom. Now this is where you think of it sounds as if things are going really well. And then he says to everybody, the people that are the most religious, you've got to have righteousness that far out stretches theirs. You've got to go way beyond what they do as their righteousness to enter the kingdom. So what, what he's saying is, if you're not as righteous, or if your righteous isn't any better than the Pharisees or the, or the writers or teachers of the law then you're not getting in. Now, I can come here every Sunday, be amongst you, 
and I can say amen at the right things. I can sing the right songs. I can uh, stand up here and share with you. I can, I can say amen to what Andy has said earlier. Do all of those things. And you know what? Inside my heart could be as far away from God as it's ever been, as it's possible to be. I could be as cold on the inside and as lifeless on the inside as anybody else. And yet I can do all the right things so that you may think, wow, there's a man of God. There's somebody walking with God. What he's saying about the Pharisees is they are... They display something externally, but unless, unless there's something going on internally, there's no righteousness there. There's no connection with God. Now, we have a really good example of this in Philippians. Just get it up. This is Paul speaking. He's having an argument with people about circumcision. And he says this, talking about the external, he says this, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who have served God by his spirit, who boast in Jesus Christ and put no confidence in the flesh. Though... I myself have reason for such confidence. Now, he's almost asking for a fight here. Is anybody, if someone else thinks that they have something to boast in their flesh, I have more, he says. I can go further than you. I can really say that um, I I shine, you know, in, in comparison. And he says, if someone thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have more circumcised on the eighth day. He means he's not a convert to the faith. He's not a convert to Judaism. He was born a Jew. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Judah. And then he really gets into it. He says, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee of Pharisees. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. It's almost like he should have the microphone, shouldn't he, and just drop it at that point. You know, if you think you can pick that up, if you think you can beat that, and this is what what Christ is saying. This is the Pharisees. Everything is on the outside. Everything is being demonstrated by keeping a code. But he goes on to say, but whatever gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, of that which comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is based on faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now he sounds like somebody that lives the Beatitudes, that displays the Beatitudes. I want to, be, I want to know Christ. 
I want to be found in Christ. Not having my righteousness, but sharing or having his righteousness that is in faith in him. It's to do with... It's to do with that. It's to do with that. And the same for all, all of us. It's to do with that. It's to do with the hearts. I'm going to take you to one more scripture. And then we're getting towards the end. So hang on with me, everybody. We're, we're almost there. This is what Jeremiah says in 31, 33 and 34. This is the covenant that I have made with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God. Oh, I've gone wrong. Yeah, thank you. (laughs) I wanted to put the heart back up, but that's fine. And they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. Now remember, Christ came. God comes as Christ and lives among us. He draws close to us. And he wants to change... He wants to change that. That's what he wants to change. Keeping the law doesn't work. And it's because that, unless that is touched, unless that is changed, it doesn't work. So how on earth is God going to make any difference there? How do you change your heart and put your laws on it uh, and, and cause people to de- devote themselves to you? And he does it like this. He comes and he forgives. He forgives our wickedness and our sin. He draws close to where we are. He lives in our proximity. He moves into our neighbourhood. He walks with us and he reaches out to us. He comes to forgive. Now, if you've ever been wronged by somebody, and you probably have, or if you've ever wronged somebody, that's probably a better way of looking at it. If you've wronged somebody really badly, and you know you've done that, you know, and I'm sure we should be all able to put our hands up here, that we know that we've done somebody some harm or we've treated them badly. And in time, they come back and they apologise, you know, and they say they forgive us. What does that do to you? How does that change your relationship with that person? They come to you and they make it good with you. Now, it's up to you to receive that and respond you may decide that you don't want to respond. You may decide that you, know, you don't want a relationship with this person. But this is what God has done. He's come to us, lived among us, died for us, so that we can receive his righteousness, so that we can have a new one of those on which he can write his laws. You see, Christ fulfills the law, but he wants his followers to try and keep it. And if we're following Christ, we are going to try and keep it. Christ says, love is the greatest command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your body, your soul, and love your neighbour as yourself. And he says, that fulfills the whole of the law and the prophets. 
It's not easy by any, by any stretch. But that's what, uh, that's what he wants. He wants my heart to be changed and transformed. He wants the same for yours. So that I love him and I want to follow him. Now I'm, I'm going to close here. And I'm going to pray just before I hand back over to Ian. But remember, we've heard this stuff over and over again, but we have to live it out each day. Each day we have to approach this again. So Father, we we pray that our hearts are open to you this morning. Father, I ask that that we won't fall into the trap of thinking, I've done that before. Uh, Yeah, we've been there I understand that and I've ticked the box. Father, help us to be alive to what you're doing and help us to be alive to your spirit and be able to respond to you and to your word. Father, we we thank you that Christ has come to save and to forgive, that Christ has come to, to save the likes of me. Father, we thank you that your mercy stretches far beyond anything we can imagine. And we thank you, Lord, that you are in the business of saving people and bringing them into your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to not take these things lightly, but help us to know, want to know you and want to know you at a far deeper level than we do today. In Jesus' name, amen.